Oh, good morning, Paul. Good morning. Come into the office. Pull up a seat. How are you feeling? What's going on? Well, I'm, I'm just struggling with these EC events. I just can't stop obsessing about them. I've, I've been reading Endless Winter and just thinking about it constantly. And I, I need a strategy. Do you have any sort of strategy to help me, you know, detach from these oh. events a bit? Okay, we're, we're going to try something new. We're going to treat your DC OCD as you would as if you were trying to uh, catch a polar bear. Oh. Do you know how to do that for? No, how do you catch a polar bear? Oh, okay. Well, first off, you've got to travel to an area where, you know, you will find a polar bear and you find a nice big area of ice and, and you've got to cut a hole in that ice ball. You, you're with me still, huh? Uh-huh, yeah. Cut a hole in the ice. You will also have to obtain a bag of frozen peas. You know, oh. Peas you put in the freezer, so... Oh, yeah. But just get one of these peas out and you put it at the edge okay yeah yeah wait for the polar bear and then when the polar bear comes up for a pea you kick him in the ice hole DC OCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event. Uh, well, we started with Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985, and we have made our way to recent times, 2020, uh, to look at a strange event called Endless Winter. And uh, <laughs> today I am joined by Mike Garvey, my favourite podcasting buddy from Australia who does podcasts with me. And we also have... <laughs> Thanks. Max Traver. Hello. Max, who's from the Weird Warriors podcast. And if you haven't listened to that, you're missing out because that's a fun podcast about uh, weird supernatural horror comic war stuff from DC in the 70s. So h- how are you guys? I'm doing well. I'm I'm super honored to be here and uh, uh, quite excited to talk about this fun little event. <laughs> Excellent. And Mike, how are you doing? I'm I'm good, thanks, Paul. My podcasting life mate, as certain other people might call their podcasting life mates. Uh, anyway, yes, I'm good. I'm wide awake. It's very early, and I I too am keen to chat about Endless Winter, which is <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. All right. So, what is Endless Winter? Well, it's nine issues. Well, entirely written by Dan Abnett and Ron Mars. The art across all the books was done by Howard Porter, Jesus Marino, Miguel Mendonca, <laughs> apologies, Miguel, uh, Clayton Henry, Amake Nahelpan, Phil Hester, Brandon Peterson, and Zamanico. And there was sort of a, a cohesive flashback story, which was all illustrated by Marco Santucci in every single issue. Yeah, so nine issues. It, let's call this um, a test tube. Uh, event or you know, an, an artificial event uh, grown in a lab because it looks like an event but it was all written by two people <laughs> and it was mm. and it actually yeah. came out to fill in time 
as something called Future State was happening or not happening or, you know, DC was in flux. So I think they needed something to fill some space while they worked out their plans. Uh, so, of course, the departure of Dan DiDio. DiDio? I'm getting too many dids in the DiDio. And, <clears throat> yeah, so a, say a prototypical Justice League a few hundred years ago um, encounters a... Norwegian guy with ice powers and Black Adam treats him badly and things go wrong and then in the future, or the current day as we call it, he is awakened beneath Superman's fortress which is a weird place to be, and supercharged with Kryptonian crystals um, stay off the Kryptonian crystals kids, and he yeah, and he basically starts attacking the world because he's angry and then the Justice League sort of has to fight him again, but it's today's Justice League, but Black Adam is still there. So, yeah. Mm. I'm going to start with you, Max. What did you think of this event? What were your favourite moments, the best bits, you know, the character bits that uh, really rang your bell? My big deal bits, they kind of tend toward the literal for this event, being that most of them are physically or digitally, depending on how you read the series, big, being on a lot of one or two page splashes. But I do have bits that I liked from all nine issues. I can sum it up by saying like a lot of the things that appealed to me about this event, not to spoil too much of my my scoring here, you know, oh, to the fact that it's not really your typical event. This really was like the best case scenario, I feel, of writing a superhero story as though a kid took a bunch of action figures out of a box, came up with a story, and said, let's have these guys fight. But yes. in, in a really good way that was entertaining, and there were I'll go through a couple of these these big splash page moments, you know, or at least big splash moments for me. Arctic Batman, very toyetic moment, with a debut of a Batman outfit I'd love to see more uh-huh. of. Yep. Um, the big splash page of Aquaman leading an army of fire trolls while he and I believe Mira are astride two giant seahorses. <laughs> Detective Chimp basically delivering a Columbo line. Yep. Viking swamp prince thing debuting. Uh, again, something I, I'd like to see more of somehow. You've, you've got like an actual peaceful attempt at resolving a situation that is actually even successful by Amazons, who they keep telling you are all about peace, but keep showing up festooned with swords and shields and all kinds of armaments. But in this story, they behave like Amazons in the end. There was there was a lot of stuff that I liked that was just big, splashy, fun superhero moments with with people that understood the characters, even if one of the characters they were handed was in a very bad way. At the time, but the writers had nothing to do with that. And I'm talking about Barry Allen. <laughs> so uh. I, I had a lot of fun with this one. It, as I was reading it, I had been on a long sabbatical from bothering with DC, especially because of eventitis. And it was someone named Martin Gray who convinced me to give him a shot with this endless winter thing because it sounded like a band aid that was going to be in its own little sealed off bubble while they figured out what the heck to do about Dan Didio being gone, you know, like tech chair rearrangement, but it was going to be its own little thing. And I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I had a lot of fun reading this relatively minor 
self-contained thing, which was actually a breath of fresh air for me from DC because it wasn't part 47 of death metal, dark smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So there's, there's my castle version of, of my big deals and and I'll I'll surrender at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. And Mike, what did you think? Yeah, I completely agree with Max about the um, kid getting all his action figures out and having them go on a, a great big adventure. Because, yeah, that's that's what it does feel like. For me, yeah, it felt overall like a kind of slightly longer than average Justice League story. And some of the issues that were tied into this weren't really needed, I felt but we'll get into that a bit later. Um, For me, I enjoyed lots of little small moments in this, like when the Flash is asking the team in uh, Endless Winter 1 how they balance superhero work and family life and that. And he's asking all the team, and they sort of give him an answer here and there. And then he gets to Batman, and he (laughs) he kind of says, so, Bat, how do you balance work and... Actually, you know what? Never mind. (laughs) That made made me laugh out loud. There's a scene where in the Superman uh, one-shot special for this, Superman flies home to to check in on his parents and some of the ice creatures are there, you know, starting to attack the farm and who saves, who swoops in to save the day, but crypto. I love seeing crypto fight <laughs> the ice creatures in that. Yeah. Just, there's lots of little small moments of humor. I did really like, uh, I think one of the, the big deals for me was that the flashbacks from the 10th century with young black Adam and, and Hippolyta and the Viking Prince who are really dark and, and thought was cool and did a lot of research on actually. And, uh, you know, something when they're first fighting the, the, the Frost King back in the 10th century, I really liked the fact that it was the same art team throughout all the different issues. Uh, led by Marco Santucci. I thought that was really cool. But I think the biggest deal for me is how this thing even got released in amongst everything else that was going on at DC at the time. Because if I recall correctly, Dark Knight's Death Metal was just wrapping up or had had just wrapped up. And then there was all this massive hype about Future State. And for me, Endless Winter kind of fell in between the cracks. And we've already made a couple of comments that it's a test tube thing it was very self-contained it was it's very much its own thing and yeah there's a part of me that goes it, you know it's not a bad story it, it's a fun adventure but yeah it's like there was so much going on before and after it, it was released i was kind of like how and why did they decide to go ahead with this thing considering everything else that was happening on such a larger scale and I actually kind of forgot that this even existed until I was in a comic shop in Sydney because my wife and I had flown there for a wedding. And it was a couple of hours before we had to start getting ready for the wedding. And I managed to find a local comic shop. And I was just looking through the, the back issue bins and found one of the tie-ins. I can't remember which one it was. And just by sheer luck, they had all of them there. And so I managed to grab them and, you know, sort of, uh, read them when I may have meant to be getting ready for a wedding <laughs> instead. <laughs> we may have been a few minutes late, but that's because of the traffic and that's my official excuse. So, yeah, and as I was getting, I was just like, oh, I wonder if they've got the other issue. Oh, they do. So I ended up getting all the issues for the complete story, which was great. But at the time, even then, I was wondering, clearly this wasn't as big a deal in DC's own eyes compared to Death Metal, and they'd had so much hype and and spotlight on the upcoming future state books so it was nice to get it and and actually read it uh, when i did Mm. but yeah overall yeah it's and as max said lots of great splash pages and lots of action and adventure and yeah it's it's a good one but it's it's kind of a weird 
Very much a standalone thing. Yeah. As far as significance, I knew this isn't a big deal at all, but I, I wanted it on the list of uh, events to cover because it feels like a throwback to the, the earlier days of events when DC didn't have the marketing machine in full swing with everything and it, this is, we're going to exploit this to the max and get as many... We'll have a main series and we'll have some side mini-series. It, instead, it just feels like this is a story that was created by a couple of people and it, it runs from one end to the other and it like it all tells the same story yeah and my call out i think is, is aquaman having the fire trolls because i believe they were his first creatures that he ever fought in his own comic so oh okay yeah so they are from aquaman number one those critters cool so, and like most things they get forgotten and then some, <laughs> someone who's got a really good memory, writes a comic and goes, let's bring them back. And they remind me of um, a Doom Patrol critter, so... <laughs> from the <laughs> 60s Doom Patrol. So there we go. Nice. Yeah. So, as far as launches, yeah, I, I, uh, the only thing I can find that concretely came from this is Todd McFarlane action figures. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so they, they did um, some action figures of this, and the builder figure was the Frost King. So they had Aquaman was sort of in the line, but sort of not. And we got um, Batman in his, um, he looks like Snake Eyes in his in snow gear. <laughs> oh, so they did do that um, Arctic Batman yep. design. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. I was going to ask if they did a figure of Arctic Batman because I didn't look into the action figure uh, spinoff at all from this. And I'm very pleased to hear that they did one. I hope it's not $400 on the internet already. <laughs> No, I think they're still in the shops. I actually saw them in... Uh, Mike will appreciate this. I saw them in JB Hi-Fi the other day. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But yeah, there was uh, a Wonder Woman figure in the sort of um, slightly Norser outfit. Yeah. Uh, she continued to wear an outfit like that um, after Future State in her own book when she was off having uh, Asgardian adventures, I guess we'd say. Ah, uh, right, yeah. Yeah, there's a Black Adam figure, and who was the other one? Is it? Uh, oh, Green Lantern, uh, John Stewart with um, green swords and things. Yeah, so they're, they're quite nice figures. But yeah, years from now, people go, and I got the Frost King, and everyone goes, who's the Frost King? And they go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so uh, uh, as far as that, I think there's a little bit of... Um, groundwork laid for the next Black Adam series but because you really do come out of this series going well Black Adam is a bit of a loose cannon and a nutcase and uh, and they sort of a jerk yeah but at the same time it's pretty much straight after this Brian Michael Bendis added him into the Justice League and wrote him as like he's a really nice guy who wants to help everyone <laughs> whereas in this he's like he's a ruthless guy who goes too far and is willing to kill all sorts of people to make um, his country safe and perhaps there's a little bit of influence because the rocks movie is about to come out in a couple of weeks and you know they've got to tread that line of where black adam is going but yeah christopher priest of course has got a black adam series currently going at the moment so yeah uh, and knowing him that will be sort of uh, geopolitical and mor morally complex but uh, yeah we'll have to see so yeah it does give you a feel that there's something more coming with uh, black adam at the end but for me, one of the nicest things about this is it is so self-contained. You could put this on your shelf and pick it up any time in the next hundred years and read it and you'd get a full story and not feel like, I don't know what's going on. 
And I feel sorry for uh, Dan Abnett and Ron Mars because they obviously had to get up to speed with where everyone was at, particularly the Titans. The Titans are always a problem in DC. (laughs) You know, constantly changing, never looking the same and always dealing with some sort of baggage. And I think he did a good job of saying, well, there's stuff going on with the Titans, but don't worry about it. So that's what I felt. Any Anything else you'd like to add in, uh, Max? Yeah, I think uh, one thing that, that, you know, you mentioned about this being self-contained and being, you know, as we talked about, a capsule or whatever, it hit me what this felt like to me. Like, it felt familiar, but I couldn't put it into words until right now. It felt like the old Marvel summer annuals more than one of these big sprawling events. So you have like two, three months of just interconnected annuals and just a few of them at first when they got that routine going over the summer, that was a fun diversionary read, but it was also not taking up the entire universe or line. And that I think is one of the other reasons I enjoyed this a lot is because I used to love the Marvel summer annuals, even if they were dumb because they happened once a year and it was just some fun thing to watch these writers play with over six to eight books, you know? So that, that is another reason why I really enjoyed the feel of this. I think is it, it hit that old nerve box that the Marvel summer annuals used to, used to hit for me. We got those, but we got them in winter, surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) What about you, Mike? Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's really self-contained. I mean, it's not a gigantic earth shattering. The D was in crisis. Oh my gosh. It's, it is some backstory on um, a villain that, you know, it would be cool to see the Frosky again at some point, maybe. I don't know. I, I did like seeing the Viking Prince in action though. I didn't know much about him and I did a deep dive into um, his background and, who he was created by it was Robert, I want to say Robert Kaniger, who apparently also created Poison Ivy and worked with DC for years and did a whole bunch of like, especially war related books, like you know, Combat, Our Army at War, Our Fighting Forces. Oh, I think he created Sergeant Rock as well, if I recall correctly. So that's like side tangent there, but that was interesting to learn as well. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's a fun little read, but if you don't read it, it's not really going to affect your understanding of the DC universe at all. Max, do you want to confirm the Robert Kaniger stuff? Yeah, uh, Kaniger was a huge part of, of the DC War Comics line. Um, mm. As we cover on, we'll get to in a bit, the, the podcast that I actually co-host, he wrote a ton of material for Weird War Tales, and just about any war comic that you wanted to look at any war series over at DC. He was a huge part of, he also had a run on wonder woman, which <laughs> not, not so well revered anyway, uh, a little bit outside his wheelhouse, I think, but um, he, he was a, a, a like a cornerstone of mm. the war line over at DC. And uh, just even the stuff that he does on a week, a week, Robert Conniger war story is still better than most that tried their hand at it, you know, at the time he was, he was having his, his day. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. And Viking Prince just, uh, he, he created characters left and right. You know, this was back in the day when no one was holding anything back and him, especially not, he, he just threw out new properties all the time that people are still using to this day. Yeah. And it's hard, 
people still using all of Jack Kirby's creations. Well, DC somehow still gets around to using a lot of Conagers, even though they're not even really publishing any war books. So he just he had a very prolific imagination when he was working in the right genre. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we might play a promo for your show, Max, and then we'll come back and do the scoring. What do you get when a fantasy gaming horror sci-fi geek and an army veteran history nerd want to do a comic book related podcast? Why? You get the Weird Wars podcast, of course. Weird War Tales was a 124 issue DC comic book series published from 1971 to 1983. Along the way, we'll sidetrack on to an occasional special mission where we discuss an issue of a like themed comic book from a different title or publisher. There are also the rare Road Warriors episodes where we report on comic related road trips like convention or visiting the homes and grave sites of comic greats. We'll nitpick what the comics creative team got wrong and crawl about what they got right. We'll also break down the facts behind the fiction in the stories, which is sometimes quite weird in its own right. Even the letters page and our favorite ads can't escape our judgment just as we can't escape yours in our own dead letter office mailbag. Torpedo-eating dinosaurs. Haunted chateaus. Time-traveling rats. Zombie robots. Day-walking vampires. Gargoyle armies. And that's just in the first 20 Weird War Tales episodes. So, report for duty with the Weird Warriors podcast with Max and Rich, where we promise to make war no more. And now it's the exciting part of the show where we uh, break this event down into points and give it an overall score. So um, the, the we've got four categories of points and they are eventiness, uh, the writing, the art and the covers, and the impact and legacy. And uh, we give them all a score out of 10 and I'm going to be the semi-OCD or the semi-OCD depending on where you come from. Um, and my score will get halved and that will give us um, a total score out of 100. This is solid science and it works, so trust us. So... Um, <laughs> Max, 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 do you want to talk about the eventiness of this event? Sure. Um, as we've kind of alluded to, even though in the events of the story, the world is affected, the, you know, the, the snow is falling everywhere, the storm is covering the entire planet, this is still a very self-contained, which is our favorite phrase this time around, event. <laughs> it's part of why I enjoyed it. But it's also why I feel it's not that much of a in, of an event, capital E. So I'm giving it a three on the eventiness scale. And Mike, what do you feel? I will concur with Dr. Max. I'm giving it a three as well. It's it's not a huge event, and it's not a bunch of nothing. But it's kind of not that widespread. I don't want to use a self-contained word again, but there I go. <laughs> so I, th I think three, yeah, it's it's in the grand scheme of things and in comparison to all the other events that we have looked at, this is fairly minor. So yeah, I'm, I'm giving it a three for that reason. Yeah, I think, yeah, my score for the eventiness, and I'll, I'll get to that. It, basically, I think there's two ways to look at this event. Um, the scale of the story or the scale of the publishing. Um, and as far as like we came up with a whole, you know, what different types of events are there. And 
this is an event that's trying to do anything other than um, fill some time and fill some books. So, you know, it's a classic Occupy. It's giving the characters something mm. to do because of other reasons or, you know, so so there's nothing going to change from this. There's nothing going to launch out of this. There was no title to come out of it. Um, there was nothing it fixed or, you know, said, oh, we've really got to address the way we characterise this person and things like that. And there's another category called a vanity project, which is when one creator basically runs the whole thing and tells it. This isn't a vanity project either because it's 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 corporately commissioned it feels like you know it feels like um, the writers were hired to you know come up with a story and tell it you know it wasn't like this is a story i'm dying to tell like you know grant morrison and final crisis and things like that mm. or multiversity so yeah it, it's an occupy and as that it's kind of the least impactful there is but as far as a story set in the dc universe the scope is really big and huge and i actually really like that on paper you go uh, this sounds like final night and mike you actually made that joke <laughs> holding up the first issue of final night and saying this was really good <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's not Final Night. It feels different. It feels like a completely different story, and it feels like the entire world is covered by ice, and everyone's fighting it. And yeah, it it, it didn't have that darkness, cold thing going like the other one. It, you know, there are ice monsters everywhere. They were attacking all over the place. The heroes were really pushed to the limit. So in that sense, I think it's very eventy. But so i'm going to give it uh i'm going to give it eight for the in-universe event feel and i'm going to give it uh four for the you know publishing feel. So, and i'll average that out to six so um yeah i i i think it, it has um, a lot of pluses to it despite those weaknesses so yeah now we move on to the writing and mike what do you think about the writing i think overall it's written really well there's you know, you get some interesting point of view stuff like uh, in the Superman special where uh, you're reading Lois Lane's piece on, on how the Endless Winter is affecting everyone. And I really liked how the story begins back in the 10th century and we have that flashback in each issue as well. I, I thought that was really cool. However, there was – I thought there was some filler that we could have done without. The Teen Titans special, I thought – was absolutely unnecessary. <laughs> we didn't need that at all. You can say that about every Titans comic of the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't normally read Titans stuff to begin with anyway, and this made me like them even less. Uh, because the what we learn towards the end of that issue that Donna Troy mentions could have been provided uh, by Diana, by Wonder Woman herself, um, which possibly would have made a bit more sense, but that's just me. But overall, I, I thought the characters were, were really well done. Uh, I did like the Black Adam special because uh, it showed him just being a self-important, narrow-minded jerk, as usual. Um, I was a little bit let down by the ending of it, how it kind of just sort of wrapped up. And they, they took care of the Frost King in his evil mode, and then um, I don't know if I really want to spoil it, but uh, they kind of resolve his reason for being and, and why he was on the attack in kind of like a very, I found it just very ho-hum and, and very quiet. But then again, that was probably on the cards from the get-go with something this insular from the rest of the universe. So overall, I'm going to give the writing a seven. I mean, it, it's it's good. It, it's a fun, extended Justice League story, but it didn't, like, it didn't blow me away or, or 
you know, didn't make me go, wow, I, I really hope we get to see this character come back. It was just like, okay, that was a bit of fun. So, seven. Seven. Yeah, I like the way it's written, and I think, uh, particularly Titans, I feel like that was an editorial mandate, include this uh, this story, you know, these characters for some reason. And mm-hmm. I, I think they, you know, the writers did a really good job of structurally telling the story across nine books and having something added to the story in every single issue. You know, particularly in the flashbacks, the way they've measured out and sort of reveal things that go on. And by the time you get to the Black Adam issue, you've seen the full scope of everything horrible that Black Adam did back then, as far as putting innocence mm. in harm's way just to manipulate the situation to a strategic win. Yeah, and the fact that he was a loose cannon then. Yeah, so... I thought structurally, I mean, it did a really good job of dividing the story up into nine parts and making each part feel slightly unique and not by the numbers. But uh, yeah, you, you can tell with the Titans that, okay, we've, you've got to use these characters, what are you going to do? And <laughs> to be fair, I mean, he, the writers did more than just have the Titans fight ice things. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm going a bit... Uh, kinder with the writing because i think it's it's a really well put together story and it it wasn't hard to read and each chapter made me want to read the next one straight after so i wasn't i wasn't going got to read this one so i'm going to give it an eight (laughs) okay now max what did you think well i agree if you're going to have two hired gun writers uh these are two really good ones to have working together and like you said, the serial nature of the story worked perfectly. They knew how to do cliffhanger, story beat, keep it moving. Yeah, I'll even go to the Teen Titans special that we're all touching on here. And that's actually one of the ones that surprised me the most because I had no interest in that. those characters. Didn't care. I was like, oh, I guess I'll read this. It's part of the event. And I actually had fun with it. And they had that moment in there where these th- – Four characters I'd never really interacted with at all. Roundhouse, Red Arrow, Kid Flash, and somebody else uh, actually engaged in a fight that required teamwork, step-by-step action, and Donna Troy actually compliments them on it. And you don't see that in superhero fights these days. You see a big splash page everyone in awkward positions. It's just that. It's just, again, action figures thrown up in the air. So I, I was like... I actually don't mind these characters and I was prepared not to like them. And throughout the story, these two writers did that with every character they were handed, except for Barry Allen, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I, I, I go on. I actually did blog about this story a long time ago when it came out. The, the one thing I could not abide in Rebirth was Barry Allen basically being an even more mature version of Wally West than Wally West ever was. And he stayed on nerves every time he appeared. I didn't blame this on the writers, though. It did take a point off my score. But we're talking about an overall fun, simple, engaging superhero story that just takes it up several notches for me these days, especially back when I was coaxed into reading this. It was a pleasant surprise all around. I would have given it an eight, but because of my utter annoyance at this version of Barry Allen, I put it down to a seven. Right. Okay, now this brings us to the art and the covers. And 
I have a real nostalgia uh, love for Howard Porter art, and uh, Howard Porter does the the main story that uh, in Endless Winter One and Two, which sort of starts it and ends it, and all the other art throughout the series was really solid. Like there was, it was a little bit DC house style, but you know, it, it's like you know, if you like that house wine, then you're you're happy to drink it while you eat the meal, and <laughs> it it was fine. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, nothing amazing, but uh, quite palatable, I'll say. So, um, yeah, and the covers, you know, there were some really good Michael Jannon covers throughout the series and some good effects. And I like the, the unified trade dress of it all. And particularly the flashback stuff was really good. Like that reminded me a bit of Atlantis Chronicles with Esteban Marota. So it had that sort of, you know, classic Conan-type feel, and, you know, it looked mm. different, and it felt different, and it just had that sweeping saga feel that you want from the art. And so, yeah, I, I thought the art was... Um, it really did the job. There was no weakness in the art where I thought, whoa, whoa, look what's, what's going on with some wonky faces there or anything like that. And as far as... You could see all the editorial input that everything had the same sort of basic look and design. There wasn't bits where you go, whoa, what's going on here? This That's really... Um, strange. It, it just felt like a piece, and I like that. And it it adds to the strength of it all as a whole. So I'm going to give that a six for overall for that. So we'll go to you, Max. And ready for that. I actually gave scores to every issue, one for cover, one for interiors, and then averaged them all together. Wow. Counting, counting the Justice League 10th Century, or JL10C, as one book, and I've avoided talking about them for a bit because it's one of my most bitter disappointments about the impact and legacy. But um, counting the JL10C as one book, together, it all came to a 7.8, which rounds up to an 8. Whoa. So I liked art side of this whole affair very much. I, the covers were really excellent. As you said, the look of them when you put them all side by side was incredibly well done. The, the art inside it wasn't just like i'm not just a style person when it comes to comic art i'm like how good is the storytelling how is my eye drawn across the page and do i ever have to stop and figure out what's happening and i didn't have to do that once on any page of this thing of this entire event so the interiors got a lot of high marks from me too some less than others but again this i thought everyone turned out like you said very house style for the time at DC, you're not getting someone's not coming in like uh, Riley Rossimo or, you know, just you got someone coming in doing an extremely cartoony issue or Bill Sienkiewicz is on one issue. It, they're, they're all pretty similar in how they depict superhero action, but not everyone that can do that can also tell a consistent story visually. But these people could. And you're right. Seeing Howard Porter is always a treat. I am a super Grant Morrison JLA person, and I'd, I'd love seeing him come back to do literally anything. He, he's never let me down. So it's an eight for me. Uh, I turns out I quite enjoyed the art for this event. Yeah, excellent. And Mike, what about you? Finally. Oh, finally. Um, no, I mean. <laughs> Um, Max and I are on very similar wavelengths today because I'm giving the art an eight as well. I think overall the art was was really good. I especially liked in the in some of the the latter issues where things are getting more frantic and hectic, and especially in uh, Endless Winter number two, the the final chapter of the story where there's the the massive battle uh, between 
the even more powerful Frost King and the gigantic uh, conglomeration of Swamp Thing and Viking Prince <laughs> duking it out. I really love that, those scenes as well. Um, but yeah, overall, it was consistently strong. The covers are great. I think my favorite part of it was, and I said this earlier, uh, the art for the 10th century quote-unquote league that initially uh, encountered the Frost King. I, I love the fact that that was done uh, by the same art team led by Marco Santucci throughout each separate issue, and I love that consistent look there for, for, for those flashbacks. But yeah, overall, it, I, it was a great-looking series. I, I can't think of anything that, that stood out and was not a great page to, to look at. So yeah, eight from me. Mm. Okay, well that gives us all our scores for art and covers. Now let's move on to Impact and Legacy. So Max, what is your score for Impact and Legacy? All right, I'll just say up front, it's a two (laughs) for me. I'm going with a two for Impact and Legacy. As far as I could tell, uh, really nothing carried on from this event. Um, In fact, Black Adam is set up for, as you kind of alluded to earlier, exactly the opposite of what he does next as a character in the DC universe. He is like, these people are going to pay. It looks like he's going to ratchet it up a notch in his jerkiness at the end of this. Um, And he does pretty much exactly the opposite because, you know, Bendis doesn't care what other people write. (laughs) 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 It's even people who like him need to admit that, I think. But um, we, we never hear about the JL 10 C the 10th century justice league or the frost King ever again. And, yeah, I've been holding that back the whole time. My absolute favorite part of this entire event was the JL 10th century. I wanted to follow them. I thought, here's the second coming of my favorite New 52 title, The Demon Knights. I loved that series, and I didn't like much of the New 52 at all. And I thought, give me more of this. And I'm like, no, you're never seeing this again. And they're never even really going to mention it hardly again. So... (laughs) So that doesn't really continue on as far as I can tell, even though this is an occupier event, as far as we can classify it, I thought maybe a little more spillover would have been nice. I mean, we've mentioned it. This was put in place to mark time while I figured out to do or figured out what to do with the ruins of 5G and bye bye video and all that. Another thing that graded on me was Frost King is I should put this in the writing. Um, was just another man pain motivated bad guy dude another guy where my family and you had the it's basically castle man pain <laughs> no, very disposable guy but this this was a roll it up in your back pocket on a bike ride style superhero comic which is why i enjoyed it but i really wouldn't repurchase this story like in a trade or a hardcover and there's nothing that really carried forward so it's a two from me whoa and mike what do you feel max i really like that point you made about not buying it again in trade because i know some people will enjoy a series so much that they'll be getting it in single issues or you know they might miss one or two if it's across multiple different series but then they'll they'll just go oh you know what i'll get it in trade or i'll get it in the hardcover because that'll have everything and it'll have you know it with a bit of luck, it'll have you know, additional uh, behind-the-scenes type stuff. And, yeah, I, I don't know why anyone that's already read this once uh, would go out of their way to get it again. It's it's just 
it's a fun, good story, but if you've read it once, you don't need to read it again. And yeah, it's I'm I'm giving it a one for impact and legacy because, and that's purely for the fact that it exists. <laughs> because yeah, nothing of real of any real importance came out of this. It's 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 well and truly an occupy. It just it turns up, it tells the story, it leaves, and and that's it. I think the Titan special tried to introduce a new character. Um, they kind of allude to her on the front cover, and she does turn up in the story. But I don't know if she's ever gone any further than that. Um, she didn't even use her powers as it's shown on the cover. Anyway, I did not like that issue. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm giving it a one because, yeah, it, it, it came, it delivered a good story, and um, it's it hasn't given us anything coming out of it uh, since since it was released. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. You guys are super harsh. <laughs> I think you tougher lives than I've had. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm going to give it a four. And wow. partly I'm going... Well, uh, you're going to... Paul, you can't justify that. And it's my show. I can do whatever I want. No, um, I'm just going to say it's put a couple of ideas on the shelf and they could be drawn off later. So um, I don't think the, the girl with the ice powers in um, Titans is ever coming back. But I think uh, the 10th century Justice League... Um, will be I think that's a possibility and the reason I think it, it came at the wrong time was the fact that around the same time Jason Aaron was doing a prototypical Avengers way back in the with the, an early version of the Phoenix and Odin all this sort of thing and the idea is so similar and he's been flogging that idea to death in his Avengers titles at the moment and yeah not enjoyable at all and I could see why DC would say yeah, let's leave them on the uh, aside for now because um, someone else is doing it and um, in a, a bigger, splashier, less good way. So <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. So I think that might have been just the, a good idea at the wrong time, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be picked up by anyone later. So you know, I could see the Frost King being revived and sort of you know used as you know in a bigger story than that. Like if the Fro- Frost King went you know interstellar or something like that you could get some really good stories and him being a tool for some other evil force um someone who they never use like dark side someone a character who's always rested and only trots out for special occasions um yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so who knows what could come in the future it's only been two years and i think that's part of the the drawback of doing this show so close to the current day is you know you can't really see what's down the path so, yeah, I'm going to give it some potential, but um, I'm the semi, or the semi, um, so my, my score is going to get halved anyway, so um, four for me. And uh, this brings us to the exciting part where we add up all our scores. So, um, Mike and Max, you two, you should get married because your scores were almost completely in sync throughout this until you got to the last one. What can I say? We're, we're both, you know, smart, intelligent types. Yeah. Good taste. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. And handsome, too. Yeah, yeah. well, thanks, yeah. <laughs> yes, so Max, uh, your scores were 3, 7, 8, and 2, which adds up to 20. And Mike, your scores were 3, 7, 8, and 1, which adds up to 19. And my scores were 6, 8, 6, and 4, um, which adds up to 24, and then halves down to 12. And so this is the part where we add it all up. So we've got uh, 51. 51 is our final score. 
Wow. But that's, I mean, that's okay, because where do you want the best score? You probably want it in the writing and art, and this, you know, if we, if that was the average, this would be up in the 70s, or the, you know, nudging the 80s, so that that's a good score, I think. But, I mean, the, the, this is the tyranny of the structure that, uh, yeah. But, you know, we can all agree this is better than Genesis, so... <laughs> Well, it being on 51 puts it exactly between War of the Gods and Robin War. Um, yeah. Well, I'd rather read this than those two. <laughs> hey, two things I've never read. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I wouldn't worry. <laughs> yeah, so 51. So if you want to see the scores, we have a little table on our website, waitingfordoom.com, where we have a section for DCOCD. You go in there, you can... You can look at all the scores for all the events by episode order, or you could look at them in rank order, um, and you can see what's there. And see, oh, you, you may not have listened to all our other fine episodes. You might go, oh, I want to listen to that one because I like that story, or I want to know whether to buy that. And I just want to add that of this, you go to the shops now and you see there's a little DC action figure in a pack with a comic that they've been selling, and this is a much better story to give someone than the first part of Flashpoint, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if I had a nephew who was getting into comics, this would be something I would, I would buy and give to him because it's self-contained and it, it's pretty cool. And you get a bit of all the characters. You get Batman wearing a, a badass new outfit action figure outfit and it it works as its own story which um, you can't say for many events uh, certainly not any that we've covered for quite some time like you can't give anyone death metal and say hey enjoy this this will this will be your gateway oh lord no. gateway into the DC universe you know yeah no no don't don't do that <laughs> I think they were giving flashpoint number one away and I had the same thought like hey little Johnny see the thing is Flash's mommy was murdered and trying ruins everything. Here you go. Here's your here's your action. Figure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Mira gets beheaded, but that's later. <laughs> Actually, guys, while you were just talking, um, I just did a very quick Google search, and uh, I was looking up the 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 page punches action figure line which um comes with a, a small action figure and a related comic book and funnily enough you can get a black adam action figure and the comic he comes with is the black adam endless winter special number one <laughs> so it's a comic from this very whoa series. So whoa i did not expect wow. that. well there you go there's a little bit more legacy and impact than we originally uh I mean, everyone's going to read that comic and then become inspired to become comic creators, and then they will mine this story for generations to come. That's what's going to happen. Oh, well, we have to change our scores then, clearly. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow. All right, so um, plug time. So, Max, where? what do you do and where can people see you do it or hear you do it? in this uh, audio medium? Well, one of the things I actively do is I'm the co-host of the Weird Warriors podcast, a podcast that focuses mainly on the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983 with my podcasting life partner, as we all like to say, uh, <laughs> Rich. So it's Max and Rich over at Weird War Pod on Twitter. And also we have the Weird Warriors podcast Facebook page uh, where Rich does a ton of work because I don't like doing things like that. But he'll he'll put up all kinds of content related to the history of war, 
history of everyone that's ever contributed to the series, things like that. Over on the Twitter, I let you know when I've actually been harangued into editing and uploading an episode and when a new one's coming out. And that's about it. But I also have a pretty much dormant comic blog uh, at MaxReadsComics at WordPress.com that I haven't written anything in in a bit because Rich keeping me on task on the podcast uses up most of my uh, most of my attention span and i can be found personally at max reads comics on twitter yes yeah, so i recommend your shows they're they're really good uh, and mike mike anything you want to plug nothing really new from me in terms of podcasting other than this very episode you can find stuff i've done over at waitingfordoom.com uh check out uh waiting for doom the podcast if you like the doom patrol check out the gary show if you like paul and i talking about all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff. Check out Paul's show, Dial F for Flanger, for all sorts of other stuff, but more related to comics than The Gary Show is. Uh, and check out DCOCD for other event series that we've covered. Mm, like this one. Like this one. And if you want to drop by and say hi on the Twitters, uh, you can find Twitter accounts for all those shows, and you can find me at Avant Garv if you want to say hi. Yeah, yeah, awesome. All right, well, um, we are coming up on future state so yeah uh, I'd hate to be involved with that episode but I am so <laughs> yes but I will have a couple of people well maybe a handful of people joining me for that one and we will see where that ends up so alright thanks everyone um, and check out our website waitingfordoom.com if you want to know more or um, leave comments at DCOCDcast on twitter Um, But thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Uh, This was an absolute delight and a pleasure. Thank you.